All right, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'd like to break into this uh, epistle that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Um, it's an interesting uh, section of the scriptures because Paul begins by rebuking the church. The Corinthians that he's writing to were born-again believers. You can see that in chapter 3 and verse 1. I, brethren, fellow Christians could not speak unto you as spiritual. That is, they were Christians, but they weren't walking with the Lord. Uh, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, fleshly. Individuals who were just paying attention to the world and the things that are in the world and not the things of Christ. He said, even as unto babes in Christ. They were Christians, but they were just tiny babies um, in Christ. We have a neighbor behind us last night. Nancy and I were sitting out. We had a little fire and we were sitting there. And the, the, babe, the, the neighbors have a little baby. I don't know how old it is, but it was screeching, screeching. Why? Because that's what babies do. Complain, screech, howl at the top of their lungs. Um, spoiled everything for us. No, it didn't. We're, we're used to that. We think it's cute, actually. We can picture the Parents running around and all that business. But they were babes in Christ. And that's not what a mature Christian should be. They, you know, you, you should be beyond some of these things that the world is offering to us. And yet some Christians fall prey to them over and over. The Corinthian church was an interesting mix of both Old Testament Jews and Gentiles or non-Christians. Let's, let's go there very quickly. Keep something in this place, and we're going to Acts chapter 18. And look at the formation of this church in Acts chapter 18. This wonderful uh, work of God through Paul and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila a wonderful work of God, and yet there were, there were great problems there. And what I want to do is compare. Remember, we, we know that all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And that's what we want to look at, instruction for us. We're in the same category, the same uh, position that the Corinthian church was in as far as the world is concerned. Paul's writing uh, in uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, I'm sorry, Luke is writing, talking about the travelings of Paul, whom, in whom Luke was part of. But notice in after uh, chapter 18 and verse 1 of Acts. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So he's uh, toward the eastern side of Corinth. Uh, Athens is about 25 miles from Corinth, from the, the uh, great Aegean Sea there, you travel west and you come to Corinth 25 miles later. And Paul found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontius, lately come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and, and, uh, and they came unto them. So these individuals, great Christian people were there, and Paul met them. Why? Because he was part of their craft. They were tent makers. Paul made tents. And you see this reference throughout the scriptures, don't you? He talks about this tent, this tabernacle. Paul knew a lot about tents, and he references our body as being the tabernacle of God, the tent of God, uh, the holding place of God, if you would. 
And notice in verse 3, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and worked for their occupation. For for their occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath day, persuading the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas, Timothy, were come from Macedonia, Paul pressed in his spirit and testified that to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah, the Mashiach, what was to come. So Paul, as his habit was, he went right into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. The Jews would open up time. If a, if a rabbi came in, you speak up, sir. So they, they allowed Paul to speak up. And Paul was telling them Jesus was the long-promised Messiah to come. And notice there were Jews and Greeks, proselyte Jews in there. Pick it up in verse 5. And when Silas, uh, verse 6 rather, and when they oppose themselves, they're arguing with Paul, and their argument isn't legitimate. It doesn't even stand up to the scriptures. When they oppose themselves and blaspheme, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. See, it's one thing when an unsaved person says, oh, I kind of don't believe the Bible. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I, I don't fall for that. It's a 2,000-year-old book, antiquated, all this business. That's one thing. But when they blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ, when they curse his name, make fun of it, that's another thing. Paul said, that's enough. That's enough. I'm going to the Gentiles. Even unregenerated Gentiles don't say things like that. Pick it up in verse uh, 7. And he departed from there and entered into a certain house named Titus Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Imagine that. God provided a place for them to worship next door to the synagogue. And, and it's incredible. So there, Paul now is teaching. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So we have a church growing next door to a synagogue full of believing Gentiles and some Jews. So there was a mixture among them. And what happens next is this is such an interesting passage of Scripture. Then spoke the Lord to Paul by night in a, by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set upon thee to hurt thee, for I have many people in this place. And Paul continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Eighteen months Paul stayed and taught at uh, Corinth. Don't you wish that you were there? I wish I was there, but I want the modern conveniences. I still want Dunkin' Donuts around the corner and all that. But I wish I was there to hear the great apostle Paul Teach the word of God. And I'll remind you, please, if the Apostle Paul had struggles in this life, you're going to have them. And he'll give us instruction in the struggles of this life. Why? He's been there. He's done that. He recognizes what this life is all about. And yet, and yet, he tells us, you can rely upon the living God to do so. So back with me, if you would, please, to uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Now, I need to give you a little bit of geography if I can, please. I know it might be boring to some of you, but hang on for a minute. If you were in the uh, African continent looking north across the Mediterranean Sea, you would see Greece. I need to do it this way. Hold on. You would see Greece, (laughs) and you would see 
Italy down here, up, up a little higher than Greece, but you would see those reaching into the Mediterranean Sea. Greece is a very, very interesting um, section of the Mediterranean, uh, Europe there, in that it, it, it has down the bottom called Achaia, down the bottom Achaia is uh, a finger, finger-like uh, projectiles going into the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, appendages, a peninsula is going into the Mediterranean Sea. And it's dotted with hundreds of islands. Just hundreds. They're supposed to be magnificent. I've never been there. I've never seen them. I've been in the Middle East, but never there. With these dotted just with islands. So you have, and I'm going to face you this time, you have Italy, you have the Sea of Adria, you have Greece, and then you have the Aegean Sea. The Aegean Sea would... And then you have uh, on, uh, uh, to the right or to the east of the Aegean Sea is Asia with Ephesus and so forth. But when, when uh, sailors would come to bring goods from Italy, Spain, from, from the west, when they would come to bring goods, they had to cross down the south of Greece. And doing that was treacherous. It was treacherous. Not only was it lengthy, but it was desperately treacherous. The reason is because wherever the Adriatic Sea and the Aegean Sea, when they met together, it's, it's much like a South America around the Horn in Africa. When seas meet together, they become terribly treacherous with tidal waves, incredible. Um, we have something like that here in Rhode Island. You may not know about this. But when you travel out to Block Island, Block Island is a great place to fish for what are called striped bass. But when you travel out there, when the tides are right, Long Island Sound, of course, comes into that area. The tides from Long Island Sound. The tides from Narragansett Bay come, and they kind of meet and swirl right there on Block Island. And there's an area called the Rip. And I've been out there when the tide was right, and that water seems to stand two feet in the air, just ripping up. That's why it's called the, the rip. But it's much more dangerous there in Greece than we have here in Rhode Island. That's just a, a miniature of what goes on when tides move around islands and, and they create all kinds of vortexes. And so something very, very unique when God, of course, cursed the planet and all these mountains were raised up, Within Greece was a very interesting isthmus, a peninsula down in the south. The water comes into Greece in the south, again called the Kea Macedonia to the north. It comes in 90 miles, it comes into a bay 90 miles long into, um, from, the, from the west to the east, 90 miles into the, the land of Greece. And Corinth sits right at the point of where this water comes in. And so what happens is ships coming from Spain or from Italy, they would go across and they would come up that isthmus right to Corinth. From there they would unload their goods and only a couple miles across land they'd load another ship. And so the ship could continue on into uh, Israel uh, and of course down in, uh, up into uh, Asia. But a port city, Corinth was right in a 
port city. It's also interesting, in 1893, they opened up that isthmus there and allowed ships to be able to pass, uh, smaller ships, but ships nonetheless, to pass through that 90 miles, a couple miles, and now they can flow into the Aegean Sea. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because it's neat, don't you think? (laughs) Why am I telling you that? Because Corinth was a vital port city. A vital port city. But with being a vital port city came the curse of a port city. What is the curse of a port city? Sailors, merchants coming in. Men that are at sea for months, perhaps. What are men that are at sea looking for when they get to land? Huh? I've been to many port cities. I've been to many port cities. If you uh, even go to our own port city in Providence, Rhode Island, small as it is, what's surrounding that? Filth. Human filth. That's all there is. And recognize, no, no, I'm not saying uh, city filthy, please. But corruption, corruption. And so these merchants coming back and forth. Now you add Greek culture to that. What was Greek culture? The worship of demons, idols. And most of the worship of demons, Paul wrote to them about this. And uh, we, we, we want to continue on from there if we can. But just, you get the picture, please. Get the picture. So Paul's been there 18 months, leaves for a year, writes them a letter. Why? Because he's heard of what's going on there. He's heard of everything that's going on there. And he wants to correct them in their ways. They're they're newborn babes in Christ. They're gloriously saved. And And yet, many are not walking with the Lord. Is it possible to be a Christian and not walk with the Lord? You bet it is. That's why God continually tells us through the New Testament epistles, submit yourself, therefore, unto God. It's entirely possible to be very busy for Christ and not with Christ. It's entirely busy, possible to be very, very busy at your job, in your family, and all those things are necessary for us, and yet leave God out of all of it. You can leave, lose your first love. It's possible. That's why God's word gives us this mandate to continually get into the word, continually read the word, continually be immersed in the word. Why? If you don't, the world will rub off on you. You'll become Paul, James. You'll become spotted by the world. It can happen to all of us. And that's this morning we want to look at that. Now, the Thessalonian church turned to God from idols. The Corinthian church believed God, and then it seems turned to idols, back to idols, back to that which they left. I don't want to be gross about this, but Peter said it's like a dog returning to its own vomit. That's what happened. And so, Paul now is letting the Corinthian church know what they need to do. Perhaps a good example of this, and I want to run through this quickly with you. Perhaps a good example of this is found in the book of Genesis, 
chapter 13. So travel with me, and I'm just going to do a cliff note section of this. In the book of Genesis in chapter 13, you'll know the whole story, so uh, you can glance at it as we go through this. Abraham, gloriously saved by God, Lot, his nephew, a believer, a believer in Jehovah God. We would call him an Old Testament believer. A believer in Jehovah God. Well, God is blessing Abraham and blesses Lot. And when when we're talking about blessing, we're talking about physical blessings here. Kids, cattle, crops, they're loaded with this stuff. And they get so big and so large that now they're... Their, their herdsmen are fighting about the, about the animals. There's too many of them. They, they can't divide them up. They can't bring them certain places. So there's a, a mess there. And Abraham says to Lot, Lot, you do whatever you need, think you need to do. If you go to the east, I'll go to the west. If you go to the north, I'll go to the south. Wherever you decide to go, I'll go in the opposite direction. We still love one another. We care about one another. We'll meet together for pizza once in a while. But right now, you have to, we have to separate from one another. Essentially, that's uh, what you have in chapter 13 and following. So they separate. Now, Lot is given a proposition where, where, wherever I want to go. And he looks to the south. And we would see the south down in the south of the Dead Sea. If you go to the Dead Sea today, you would say, who would want to live at this place? It's nasty. It's rocky. There's a few little weeds everywhere. Uh, It's hot and all of that business. But when Lot looked at that, he could see that it was, pick it up in verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom. So before God destroys this place called Sodom and Gomorrah, before God destroys it, it was a watered place. It was beautiful. Very, very nice. Nice place to live. So he decides that he is going to move into that area. The only problem is In that area is a place called Sodom, a vile place. God says some things about that. You can see in verse 12. Notice verse 12. Abraham dwelt in the land of Cana, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plains, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Isn't that interesting? The Hebrew term has to do with he was aimed in that direction. Aimed in that direction. It'd be as if you opened... Uh, you want a beautiful view of the lake, you're camping there, you open your tent in that direction, uh, toward the beauty. But Lot is looking at Sodom, and you'll see that in a moment. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked, or wicked sinners before the Lord, exceedingly. It says uh, the very same thing in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 20. Their sin was very grievous before the Lord. So this is a place with the epitome of wickedness. Sodomites. Terrible, terrible situation going on there. And now he's got his tent pitched towards Sodom. He should have been careful about that. He should have been more aware. But you're going to see from Lot's eyes that he was looking there. Now, what is it? Well, it's a very strange thing because 
Uh, perhaps, you know, there was music coming from there. I, I do not know that. Uh, the lights of that city maybe uh, were drawing. Um, Moses called it <clears throat> the pleasures of sin for a season. Something interesting. There's a draw to that type of stuff. Um, you've seen that. Perhaps even on your own telephone you see stuff uh, like that. They're, they're putting things on your YouTube uh, What to draw you in. If you click on that, you're going to get a lot more of it. See, To draw, that's part of the draw. Well, lots being drawn in that direction. And uh, to make this a long story shorter, if I can, what happens is uh, God sends angels into the city. And if you can imagine, if you can only imagine this, the men of the city try to, uh, if you would, rape these angels. I'm not making that up. You can, you can look at that. You can see that. Vile situation going on. So God sends angels in and he says to the angels, uh, go down and, and check it all out. And the angels do that, of course. And the angels tell Lot, I, we're going to destroy this place. You've got to get out of here. And Lot had sons and sons-in-laws in the city. See, not only he was pitching towards Sodom, before too long he's in Sodom. And then as you read the text, he's a governing official that he sat at the gate. That's a governing official of the town. So he's immersed in this place. And what's going on? He has sons and daughters and sons-in-laws. His family's in there. Now he has children there with him. And if you keep reading the text, God says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to destroy this, but get out. And the only ones to leave was Lot, his two daughters, and his wife. And it's amazing to think of. His son-in-laws, Lot warned them, we got to get out of here. Uh, they laughed at him. Well, who do you think you are? We live here with you. We know what you do. We know what this is all about. You know, why, why should we leave? But Lot, it says, the angels dragged him, his wife and his two daughters, out of Sodom. Imagine that they had to drag him out. But they pulled him out of Sodom. And of course, his wife looked back. And as she looked back, she was turned into a pillar of salt. Remarkable. This is down the southern end of the Dead Sea. Uh, again, I mentioned to you, that to you. So as, as they drag Lot out of this city, he, they, they, the angels bring him to a place. And of course, they left him. And his daughters come up with a scheme. And that scheme is... Uh, all our children are gone. All, all our goods are gone. Everything's gone. Uh, all, all, all our uh, position is gone. Our husbands are gone. The two daughters said, let's get our father drunk and we'll lay with him and have children by him. It gives you the creeps, doesn't it? What was his daughter thinking? Sodom. Their plan worked. Their plan worked. They got Lot intoxicated. He slept with his own daughters. His own daughters. He's a believer. Do believers do things like that? Yep. When you're not walking with the Lord, when you're not in God's word, 
You can do anything the vilest unsaved person can do when you're not allowing the Spirit of God to control you. And so it works. And they produced the Moabites, and I believe it was the Ammonites people, a treachery to God's people for the rest of Israel's history. These, these two men who were fathers of these uh, terrible, terrible nations. It, what am I getting at? You could get Lot out of Sodom, but you couldn't get Sodom out of Lot. How do we know that? Well, God's word tells us, and I won't have you turn there because it's, it will be too lengthy for us, but you remember uh, when Paul, I'm sorry, when Peter is writing about this situation, and he says something very, very interesting, and he said, Lot, just Lot, he said that righteous man, Lot, a believer, an Old Testament believer, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing what they were doing vexed his righteous soul. What happened? He got worn down. He got worn down by being in Sodom. Was he a Christian? Yeah, he's an Old Testament Christian, sure. Old Testament believer in Jehovah. But what happened? He allowed himself to be mingled and co-mingled in the world so much with the evil deeds that he got worn down and became part of their culture. That's why John warns us, don't, don't love the world. I mean, we're here, we're in it, we work with it, we're, we're, but we're part of it, we live in it, we go grocery shop, the whole business. But don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is really of, of the devil, John warns. Everything that's part of this. And so, the warning here is you can become immersed by the culture. Now, it's, it's interesting to me, at least, every culture of this world, every people group, has some very unique qualities about them. Wouldn't you say that? Every people group, uh, some wonderful, wonderful qualities, and then there's some qualities within that people group that, that uh, can lead to great sinfulness. Uh, think about the Greeks, if you would. We're going to go back to Corinth in a minute. What about them? Well, they were the philosophers of the world. They were the, the great thinkers of the world. They were the, the uh, professors of the world. They were, they were the high-esteemed people of the world, the great thinkers. And so they were lifted up with pride because of their, their thoughts. On a human level, every, every culture has good points and, and points about their culture, about their, the people group, that can be uh, disturbing. Remember Paul wrote to Titus about Titus's uh, ministry to the island of Crete. He says, Titus, be very careful. For one of themselves, even if a prophet of their own said... The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then Paul adds this. This testimony is true. Titus is going to go among a people group that's very disturbing, very difficult. And Paul is among a people group, the Corinthians, that were very difficult, very disturbing. <clears throat> now that goes for every people group, of course, except for the Polish people. We are the 
great thinkers of the world, the scientists, brain surgeons, people like that. I will admit that uh, perhaps we're a little thick-headed, but that's the only problem we have. <clears throat> but you get the idea, Corinth is immersed in this stuff. And instead of getting away from that, not moving away, but getting away from the culture, instead of getting a- away from the lust, instead of getting away from the sinfulness, what happened to them? They didn't. Come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. And sometimes, and I fear it's probably so even among us, because there's nothing new under the sun, that though we're born-again believers, though that we're in the church, that we, we somehow are still so holding on to the world and the things of the world that it's, bought, it's attacking us. It's wearing us down. It, 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 it's beginning to disturb us. It can happen to anyone. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians 3, please. All the way back there, please. All the way back to 1 Corinthians 3. What was happening with the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 3? They were puffed up, the scriptures tell us. They were puffed up in 1 Corinthians 3. It's interesting, Paul talks about this several times, puffed up. What does puffed up mean? Inflated? bloated, it means they really thought there's something. You really think you're something, don't you? Oh, yes, I do, by the way. I'm a Corinthian. I'm Grecian. Uh, I'm really something. I'm a thinker, a philosopher. Don't get puffed up, God says to the Corinthian church. Don't, don't get puffed up. So Paul lets them know, how do I know that you're puffed up? It's simple, because you're bragging about even the person who baptized you back in, in uh, chapter 2, uh, chapter 1. You brag about the person that is baptizing you. You're bragging about, um, now, who is your favorite teacher, your best teacher? I'm a Paul, I'm Paulus. Apollos wasn't even there, according to chapter 16. He went somewhere. He's going to return, apparently. But Paul, Apollos wasn't there. I, I'm something. I learned from the master teacher. The master teacher. So Paul said, I wanted to feed you with meat from the word of God, but you're not ready for it. Why? Because you're still babes in Christ. And then Paul lets them know in chapter 3 and verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. Paul lets them know it's God's work. It's not our work. I didn't do anything. I was in the way and God used me, that's all. Recognize that the planter and the water are one person, we read. The planter and the water are one. God, we are instruments in the hand of a mighty God. God just wants us to be pure instruments. You get away from that stuff. Don't touch that stuff. Do you, I like things. Do you like things? I like them less and less because i got to take care of them or pay for them. But I, I like things. We, we all kind of like things. And yet, the things of this world are the very thing that can pull us toward them. Take us away from worshiping God. Because we got to fix it or do it or go there or be part of it or whatever it might be. So, God wants us. He, notice in verse um, verse 5, and who was Paul and who was Apollos? But ministers, instruments, servants, 
by whom you believe even as the Lord gave to every man. I want you to notice, it's the Lord that gave to every man. Picking up in verse 6, I have a plant, uh, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Notice, it's always God's work. It's not your work. You're an instrument. I use this example, and it's probably dumb, but it's a, a shovel, for example. A shovel. You are a shovel in the hands of God. Uh, you, you dig a hole with this shovel. Okay? God chooses you out to dig a hole with a shovel. Does the shovel brag? Hey, I dug a pretty great hole. No, it was God that did it. God used the instrument. And if God uses you at all, it has nothing to do with you except you're a submitted instrument in the hands of God. But I need to warn you about this. And Even if you're not walking with the Lord, even if you're not a great example of a Christian, God can still use you. He can. Not because of you, but in spite of you. Not because you're a faithful servant of the living God, but because you're unfaithful and he chooses you to use you as an example somewhere. I've heard Christians brag about what God did with them. And I'm thinking, but you're not walking with the Lord. You haven't read the Bible. You haven't been to church. Yeah, but God used me. Okay, you know. But what does God want us about? Notice in verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, one team, one unit, if you would, one, one servant. He that planteth and he that watereth are one. They were both bought with a price. They were both to glorify God in their body and in their spirit, which is God's. But they were instruments in the hand of God. But notice, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. See, there's something coming at the end of this life. And this is ultimately important to all of us. We're going to stand before God and give account, Paul says, for the things done in our body, whether they were good or whether they were bad. You see that here. Uh, we could also go to 2 Corinthians 5, Romans chapter 14. Now, this isn't a uh, this isn't a, a place for sin to be judged. That's been taken care of. If you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sin has been taken care of by him. This isn't sin. It, it's not condemnation, determination, rewards. And the scriptures are very plain when they talk about rewards. There are many, many rewards mentioned in the scriptures. If, if, I, if I might remind you, there's a corruptible crown. Uh, I'm sorry, an incorruptible crown. The world looking for corruptible crown, we an incorruptible. It has to do with the, the Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where things are determined, where, where uh, consequences of this life are determined before God. And what are they determined for? Not unto sin, but unto reward. And you see that, of course, <coughs> in 1 Corinthians 9.25, it's called an incorruptible crown. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, a crown of righteousness. In 1 Peter 5, 4, a crown of glory. James 1, 12, a crown of life. So God's going to give us rewards for our service here and now. You can either gain reward or lose reward. There's some, some other things about this I do not completely understand, but it seems like these rewards translate to positions in the kingdom with God. 
<clears throat> for example, 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him or rule with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3, we shall judge the world, we shall judge angels, reign or rule over angels in this kingdom situation. Now, to be sure, in Revelation 20, verse 6, the elders, the priests of God, they, they will reign and rule with Christ a thousand years. Now, they cast their crowns before him because it's his work. It's him, it's not you. God chose to use you. And I might add to this, I heard this a long time ago, and I think it was Oswald Chambers, uh, said, God wants to use you, but he does not need you. Wow. Think about that. He wants to use you, but you're not the only one in this world that he'll use. He can use someone else if you won't do it. He can choose to use whoever he chooses, but he's given you the opportunity for reward and position in the kingdom. John Phillips writes his, he has a commentary set on exploring. Uh, there are several judgments mentioned in the scriptures, and they must not be confused. Be, be aware of that now, please. The judgment mentioned here is the believer's work, not his sins. His sins have been forever judged at Calvary and are remembered no more forever, Hebrews 10, 17. There's a great white throne judgment. All unsaved people will meet there. There's a judgment for New Testament Christians. There's a judgment for Old Testament people. All this is part of God's judgment scheme. And you need to look in the scriptures to see that. But realize God wants to use you, but he does not need to use you. He wanted to use the Corinthians. But it appears to me that he didn't. Now, why do I say that? Well, notice in verse 10, verse 9. Let's back up to verse 9 for a moment. For we, Paul and Apollos is mentioned there, every worker for Christ, we, that includes us, every single one of us. If we, for we are laborers together with God. Notice, you are God's cultivated field. We're servants. You're God's cultivated field. This brings me back to Matthew chapter 13. The, the, the seed fell on uh, good ground toward the end of those parables on the sower and the seed. Remember, the good ground brought forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. What kind of ground are you? What kind of ground am I? What kind of servant am I of the living God? Am I going to bring forth good fruit? Am I going to bring forth an abundance of fruit? Or am I just going to allow myself to be a... Uh, let's keep going. Okay. <clears throat> what kind of ground am I? Now, notice what Paul warns all the way back in chapter 3 and verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, it's God's grace. It's not your grace. It's God's grace. It's God's work. It's God's word. It's God's spirit. All this is God's. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man builds on it, but ever, let every man take heed how he builds. You know what that reference is. The foundation. Um, I've been looking for some houses uh, up in Maine uh, for, for, uh, for, for another person. 
And uh, when you travel up to Maine, you can find some really, really cheap homes. You really can. Big, cheap homes. But most of what I've seen is there's no foundation under them. There's none. They laid a, a board on the ground in some cases, or they stuck a rock under each side. There's, there's no foundation. So you go in and look at the, from a distance, a beautiful house, and then when you look at it, it's sagging all over the place. Why? The foundation is incorrect. It cost tens of thousands of dollars to get the foundation correct before you could even start on the mess that's inside. Paul said, God's foundation, pick it up in verse 11, the foundation no man can, uh, man lay, let me read that again, verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation. See, will you admit with me, will you think this through now, the foundation is perfect. But the builder, the builder, how are you building? See, one day, one day we're going to meet the Lord. One day we're going to see the Lord. Not for sin, that's taken care of. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And you have a lot of people running around, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, fine. But you're walking with the Lord. Unsaved people use his name more than I do. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you serving him in some way? Are you building on the foundation? And Paul gives an analogy there in in verses 12 and following. He says, uh, when you're building upon this foundation, is it gold, silver, and precious stones? That which requires work to dig, or is it wood, hay, and stubble, that which blows along the top of the ground? How are you building? How are you building? The foundation's perfect. You're going to give account for what you build on it. I'm going to give account. Say, well, what if I haven't walked with the Lord? Then, Then slam on the brakes and start doing it. Slam on the brakes. Don't, don't slow yourself down. I hate my car. You, you like your car? I hate it. I slam on the brakes, and it decides when it's going to stop. <laughs> Things in the computer work, and, you know, oh, they slow you down nice. No, I don't want to slow down. I want to stop. <clears throat> I even have this thing in the door, that, in the dashboard, which I won't get into because I hate it. Uh, it warns Break, 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 you know, that type of thing. Everything scares me, and yet it doesn't come to immediate stop. It slows down the wheels and all that business. Slam on the brakes. This is our warning. This is our foundation. If you're going to stand before the Lord, which every one of us are, it's time to get busy, is it not? You say, well, I haven't. Well, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian, I mean, you have to examine your own heart. That, that doesn't mean uh, I'm going to lose my salvation. You can't. It's dependent upon him. It's his work, not yours. We're given, he gives unto us eternal life, and we shall never, ever perish. I got that part. But what's going to happen? Well, I'll stand before the Lord with no reward to give back to him. See, I haven't honored him with my life. I haven't. I haven't done the things I should be doing. Yes, he reminded me. He shows me from his word. His spirit convicts me of sin, righteousness, and a judgment to come. All that happens to me. And yet, 
I'm so immersed in out there that I'm not immersed in here. We need to see that from the Word of God. We need to recognize that from the Word of God. All of us have at least one spiritual gift that we're supposed to be serving the Lord with. And if we don't, if we don't, one day, go back with me to 1 Corinthians 3, if you would, please. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. The word manifest in my King James Bible says clear. It'll all be clear. See, someone might not understand you. I don't understand you. I don't, I don't know. I don't even understand myself sometimes. But, you know, you, you serve the Lord. Okay, fine. And no one knows it. That's even better. That's even better. You're serving the Lord, fine. Uh, when you come before the judgment seat of Christ, what's going to happen? God's going to reward you. Why? Because he knows what's going on. I don't. You, you don't. But someone else is serving the Lord in some way that we don't know about. That's wonderful, wonderful thing. But it's all going to be made clear. And what's going to reveal it? Well, pick it up in uh, verse 13 again. Every man's work shall be made clear, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall touch every man's work of what sort it is. I, I don't exactly know what that means, but God's, uh, our God is a consuming fire. So this will get rid of the wood, hay, and stubble, and the rewards will be evident. Notice in verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built upon it, he shall receive a reward or the reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he himself shall suffer loss. Loss of what? Reward. But he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. See, you're, you're born again, there's no question, and God is going to save you and bring you to his kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of him, not because of you. Because of his work, not because of your work. But rewards are given, or First John tells us, uh, I'm sorry, Third John either second or third John, one of the Johns down there, tells us that we can lose reward. So they're either gained or lost by us now. And what's it determined by? How much are you immersed in this world? See, you can't leave it, right? Every morning I hear the news, get me out of here. I, I don't want to be around here. It's nasty. It's getting worse. But you can't leave it. God will determine when you're going to get your, your bus ticket. But right now, right now you're in the world, but that doesn't mean you have to embrace it. Put your arms around it. Love it. Be part of it. Listen to it. Be immersed in it. Do what they do. Say what they say. Wear what they wear. Wear. You're a Christian with to act like it, think like it, submit ourselves to the Lord, and be instruments for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your revealed truth. <clears throat> your word is truth. And we know our Lord Jesus Christ prayed to the Father in John chapter 17 and said that he didn't want the Father to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Father, we know the evil one is ever pronounced in this world. There's people who have itching ears. They want to hear something different all the time. They want us to capitulate our faith so that they can be accepted into the kingdom of God. 
Father, you have told us very plainly to be very, very careful about this, to be careful how we build the foundation, for you will make everything clear uh, one day. And so, Father, I thank you for your truth. The word is truth. Thank you for your spirit who gives us the power, strengthened with all might by your spirit in the inner man, so that we are without excuse We need not yield. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of your dear Son. So, Father, as we look around us, help us to measure everything, to weigh everything, to filter everything by the word of God, because you have given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace. We pray you'd... uh, Just use your word, Lord, that every person in this room, those who sleep, those who are awake, those who are not listening, and those who listen, Lord, your word will just penetrate deep into their hearts that they might become doers of the word and not hearers only. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.